Yes, we're continuing the series we've already <clears throat> had for several weeks now, which we've called Walking in the Sandals, Discipleship as the Disciples Understood It. And we're now going to look at the aspect of a family and a new family. Very often when you read discipleship books, it can be very much about what you do personally. It can be about your prayer life. It can be about what you do as far as action is concerned. What this passage, which we've had just had read to us, emphasizes is not just about that. Discipleship is something that we do together as a family. And that is the main aspect of our discipleship. It's discipleship together. And that theme I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow it through by firstly looking at the family of Jesus. I don't know what pictures you've got of Jesus' family. I wonder whether it's something like that. Do you notice Mary? Totally unblemished complexion. Eyebrows which have been done, done so well and expertly. And round her there's a halo, as there is on Jesus and Joseph. The feeling is that there must never ever be a crossword in that family. Quite like a lot of you, I'm sure. No? <laughs> Although there is one indication, if you look in the middle of Jesus' chest, you'll find a cross there. Maybe an indication that however nice, however loving, however wonderful that family was, it was a family that was going to face a whole lot of strife, a whole lot of death in the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's one picture of a family of Jesus I'm going to tell you that although you may like the picture, that is not what the Bible says about Jesus' family. Another picture. Has anything like that ever happened in your family? <laughs> I have a feeling it might have done. It certainly did in mine. <laughs> Two brothers arguing. Surely that wouldn't ever have happened in the family of Jesus, would it? <laughs> Ethan. You mean yes, well done, Ethan. Yes, Ethan is totally right. This is one thing that John says. When the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And John comments, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus was a member of a real family. And just as we have conflicts in our own families, I certainly did in mine, still some things that go on even now. <laughs> Those sort of things did happen in Jesus' family as well. However, we do find that his family was protective. In the verses which uh, Mark read, 
talks about Jesus entering a house and not being able to eat. And his family took charge of him because people were saying, and I don't think they mean the family, I think um, he means other people were saying that Jesus is out of his mind. And it looks like his people said, if the people start thinking that, then our brother, Jesus, his life is in danger. Therefore, we could, should go in and do something for him. Very much a praiseworthy thing to do. And when you talk about out of his mind, and you read the verses that follow, which Mark read to us, you realise it's not just out of his mind as some sort of mental condition. It's out of his mind because, in fact, he's in league with the devil. Possessed by the devil, if you like, by Beelzebul. And that would have put his life in even more danger. So for the best of intentions, his family came to take charge of the situation. We know it didn't turn out like that, and Jesus went on to do his ministry. Maybe there had to be a very difficult conversation between Jesus and his family who said, yes, I realize and appreciate what you're doing, but I've got to continue with my ministry. I've got to go to the cross. I've got to save you and, and all mankind. Jesus' single parent family. We feel this is a modern thing, don't we? When a wedding took place, they talk about his mother and the disciples being there. There is absolutely no way if his father was alive, he wouldn't have been there. He wouldn't have decided, well, I'm a bit busy sort of uh, um, doing a sideboard for a friend or anything like that. He'd have been there if he was there. So what we do is we find out that Jesus was actually a member at one stage of a single parent family. A real family. Hello? Paul, I may ask you, have to ask you to index forward because this isn't working. <laughs> All right, good. We see it also in another passage that took place. This is when Jesus spoke in, the, in Nazareth. And people said they couldn't understand what he was saying because he was the son of a carpenter, but they didn't mention the name Joseph. And we know Mary, and we know James and Joseph, Simon and Judas, and his sisters as well. Again, no Joseph there. And that's another reason we think there's a single-parent family. Now, I know some people believe that... Joseph married Mary at the age of 90 and died at the age of 111. I don't think that's right at all. <laughs> Joseph was probably about the same age as Mary, maybe a bit older. We don't know why he died. We don't even know whether it was a death. But we do know he wasn't around. And Jesus, as the oldest son, probably had a lot of responsibility in being the senior member, the senior male in the family, 
helping his brothers grow up and everything like that. Great, it's working well. However, the good news is it didn't stay like that as far as the conflict between the families is concerned. Paul mentions that he saw none of the apostles talking about Peter, except, but he did see James, the Lord's brother, who he referred to as an apostle. So despite the fact that his brothers had gone through this stage of not believing in Jesus, we find in the Acts of the Apostles that they had actually believed and was a servant of Jesus Christ. And we believe that James was actually the author of the book of James. James is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And possibly his brother Judas, or Jude, uh, was uh, author of another book as well. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. So if you like, it's a happy ending. Although they'd gone through conflict, they, they had come to a period of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and were united in that together. Ah. Jesus also practiced the idea of an extended family. And we saw that in the cross when he was standing there and uh, probably the Apostle John and Mary were there and Jesus decided the time was right to ask John to take Mary into his home, extending the family from the ones we've already mentioned. It is possible that John was a distant cousin of Jesus. If you actually read some of the uh, accounts, it is possible to take that. But whatever, Jesus didn't just believe in the close family, his own brothers and sisters and his mother, but he had this aspect of an extended family, which we're going to look at later. I always enjoy playing with people. And before the service, I enjoyed playing with Becky for several reasons. But one of the reasons was that she, said, she just mentioned the levels of family which she's going to pray for later. And I thought, that's exactly the, <laughs> what I was going to speak about which makes you feel that somebody was speaking to Becky and somebody was speaking to me. <laughs> Isn't it great when that happens? But the emphasis today on family is something like that. If you go into a harvester in the next week, or in the next week you'll find that um, poster up all over the place. Why? It's advertising Father's Day next Sunday. That's something to remember. I told you, no excuse for no <laughs> um, presents or cards or anything like that next Sunday because I've told you all it's Father's Day. Please note it down. And I must say that um, other restaurants are available for Father's Day, not just harvesters. But let's look at the picture. A man, his partner... <laughs> and two children, one of each sex. And uh, they're very careful, actually. They make sure that it's not a white family. It's um, <coughs> maybe a mixed ethnicity family. <coughs> the focus over the last few years has been on what we call the nuclear family, our immediate relatives. hundred years ago, there wouldn't have been that focus. A family would have uh, consisted of 
older people, uh, the grandmothers, grandfathers, it would have consisted on brothers, sisters, and everybody living very close to each other. If you speak to Asian people nowadays, they still have that aspect very often of an extended family. And it may not surprise you to say that that particular concept is very much scriptural. We can see it, for instance, in Abraham. We've got the idea that he went out from Haran to Canaan. And we talk about his faith in doing so. But what this passage makes clear, he wasn't on his own at all. He had his nephew with him. Don't know why his brother wasn't with him, but his nephew was with him. There were others with him as well. Some of them may be in relation, some of them may not. But Abraham is one who had an extended family. And in fact, at the time that he went out, he had no immediate sons. Isaac and Ishmael were born later. And let's get the idea that an extended family is a very biblical uh, concept. We've got tempted to get out of it because we move. For instance, my parents lived in Cornwall, but I had a job in Wellingarn City and then in London, so I had to move there and then to Solihull, etc. So we weren't able to live um, geographically close. And also the fact is that uh, grandparents tend to be around because they needed the children who were earning money. Nowadays there are pensions. Nowadays there are care homes and things like that. So we've got out of that idea of an extended family. But it's still very, very important that we don't just think of our family as our immediate children. That we actually do that because also remember it's a place where we can witness as well there's also the idea of a local church family Jesus was in a circle it said it was a circle people were around him and he said these people they're my brothers and sisters and mothers in other words he was saying that you together are a family so I'm doing the same with you The concept is that we as a local church are a family together. Oh, sorry, wrong way. But this goes further than that. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever. Not just people here, not just people in Solihull, not just people in England or Europe, but throughout the world. There is a concept that Jesus gives now that our family of Christians is global. And we have a responsibility to them as well. I'm pleased that we have the opportunity to give to Christian Aid this week. I hope you've all put some money in the envelopes that were put out last week. If you haven't done yet, please do so. Because that also emphasizes the fact that we are a global family together. In the passage Mark read, it spoke about a kingdom being divided against itself. It came about because they said that Jesus was in league with Beelzebub. 
But Jesus was pointing out that the very things he was doing of healing and releasing of people from oppression, everything like that, was totally contrary to the kingdom of Beelzebul. And then he talked about a kingdom being divided. Now what I'm going to take for that is the fact that we, as a church, should be a kingdom united. As a family, we should be a family uh, who are united. And what is required for us to be united? Many things, but I've got a few. Firstly, it's caring for each other. Caring within the family context and also in the church context. It's something that Jesus criticized the Pharisees about. He said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Jesus taught that we should look after the, our families, particularly those who are in need. Need because of old age, need because of uh, lack of income, those sort of needs as well. And the Pharisees had decided, well, we don't really want to bother about our own parents, so we'll just give everything to the temple, and we'll call it Corban. Now, I'm quite in favour of people giving money to Alton Baptist Church. All right, All right Jim? Jim's in favour as well. <coughs> but this must never stand in the way of our own looking after each other and our, our, particularly those in need, our parents and things like that. A church must be known as a church that cares for each other. If it isn't, the unity of the church will suffer. And also the way that we act. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I'm afraid to say that some people think of church as a way in which they can do what they want and everything... Probably not. If you, I went to Bristol Baptist College, as you know. And the principal there, Steve Finnemore, always gives a very similar talk to people who just joined the college as students. And the subject is money, sex, and power. And he looks of the temptations you have as a leader to get a power base together so that people do what you want and to recognize that as a pastor you have a certain amount of power and you've got to be very careful how you use it because it's not what you want in the church that matters it's what God's want uh, it's God's will and we should always act that way and it's very easy to be tempted to think of say things like my ministry 
and how people should actually support your ministry, etc. Yes, God does give us ministry. For a family to be united, it needs to mature. It needs to uh, uh, grow up. And this particular passage says how it, how it should grow up. Firstly, putting away all these funny ideas that people might have. But instead, looking after truth in love. Now, people speak a lot about speaking the truth in love. But the whole idea is looking at the Bible together and seeing what God's truth is to us. And as we do it together in places like this, in home groups and other places together, then we mature and we realize what God's truth is. If we are to mature, we need to concentrate on learning together and getting away from fanciful teaching to what God actually does speak about in his Bible. There's also an aspect of saying sorry. I'm going to tell you a story. What I would ask you to do is not try and think what was John talking about. Just take it as it is. And please don't investigate or ask me about it. But a little while ago, I found something going wrong. Something I was uncertain about. And I should have done something about it then. I should have spoken to somebody about it particularly. And month after month it went, and it got to the situation where the situation had to be resolved but it was resolved very, very painfully. I was deeply sorry that I hadn't come in at this early stage and had the conversation that was needed. And after it all had blown up, I spoke to the person and I said, I'm sorry, I should have spoken to you a lot earlier about all this. And I feel so guilty because I hadn't spoken and things had gone wrong and eventually... There'd been a lot of pain and grief. Initially, the person found it very difficult to forgive me. But a bit later, that person came and said, thank you, John. In the whole situation, you're the only person yet who said sorry. We talk about confessing our sins to each other. Some people think that's sort of going to a leader of the church and saying, I'm a sinner, in a sort of confessional. But the main way in which we must, should confess our sins to each other is to the person we've sinned against. That is the most important thing. It was very difficult for me to say, but I'm glad I did. And that person did accept my Apologies. And the other thing I would add, and this is something which a mistake I've made in the past, never say sorry, but, and then the reason why you're really not sorry. Just leave it 
as sorry. Because the but takes away all the force of the saying sorry. <clears throat> There's an aspect of defending each other in family unity as well. It's speaking up for those who uh, don't speak up for themselves. The person in the family who always seems to be downtrodden, the person in our church who doesn't get noticed, and all those sort of things which can happen. But it must be done with justice, remember. We don't defend people who cause a criminal offence. We don't defend people who are abusing others. That's why we have the uh, policies, which actually is going to be mentioned uh, later. But there are times when we really need to defend each other. And not just people in church as well. Everybody who's serving in justice. <laughs> Again, Becky uh, prayed and spoke about the particular things I do as far as social justice amongst uh, asylum-seeking people like that. I was very struck that she prayed. So that's one important thing to do as well. I don't say I'm perfect in that by any means. But it's something that we must do. We must defend each other. And the other aspect is remaining. If things go wrong in church, don't go quite the way you want. It's very easy to stop going to church. It's very easy not only that, to eventually decide, well, I've got to finish my membership. There are extreme cases when that's the right thing to do, just like there are extreme ca cases when a family has to split up, for instance, when there's abuse or violence going in the household. But that's an exception. And what God wants us to do is stick with things when things are difficult. We had a difficult time, didn't we, um, 18 months ago? A very difficult church meeting. A lot of people were very upset with that. Thank you, all of you, that you've stuck with us despite that time. Thank you also to the VLT when they acknowledged the fact they'd done wrong and they said sorry. And we continue. The model isn't to leave the family when anything starts to go wrong. The model is to stay there, to pray to go through the difficult times because at the end of it we may end up stronger. So some of the aspects of family unity. I invite you to look there. How much am I caring? How much am I acting in God's will rather than my own? How much am I maturing? Am I a person who's ready to say sorry without buts? How much do I defend the weaker people in our families and our fellowships and throughout the world? And how determined am I to stay in the fellowship of God's people here? Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, that we are a family. We acknowledge that we are not a perfect family. We acknowledge our sins and our failings, Lord. But we acknowledge also that you are the head of the family too. 
We acknowledge, Lord, that you have blessed us as a fellowship over the years and, can, and want to bless us again. We thank you that you have blessed us with the appointment of Endy as our pastor. And we thank you for those who work so hard in so many ways in this church. Help us to be united, Lord, in all that we do. Help us to be a real family, honest and straightforward, but also loving and caring. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.